so well what can I say I'm sad I'm angry I'm confused I think above all I'm totally disillusioned what's brought all this on Jürgen he's out the bake-off oh I know justice for Jürgen I know how can you say there's a god of love when Jürgen is out of bake-off I don't know Welcome everybody to episode... Is that the right episode number? I think so. Do you feel like you've seen it before? I feel like I have. Mm. And I feel like that about a lot of this podcast. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> if I haven't seen it before, I've heard it before. So anyway, welcome to what we're going to call episode 178. Because yes. that's what you've written on the top of this yeah, I have. bit of thing here. Uh, of the Mid-Faith Crisis podcast. I like to think our intros are getting better... Yes, better, uh, certainly are. You've you've got so much more professional as we've endured. <laughs> uh, my name is Nick Page, and uh, your name is uh, I forget now, but I I will ask a grown up later. Very good. And we're both very upset about Jurgen. We are. We're mourning really. Bake off. Oh, his little face. I know. And then when it, all the others got handshakes. Oh, and he it, didn't get a hand. Oh, I mean, that's just cruelty, wasn't that it? That is. I hate it. It speaks to me of exclusion. Honestly. It does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it touches a raw nerve, frankly. <laughs> um. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, yes. Well, should we do some church notices to start with? Yes, let's do some church notices. So um, don't forget, friends, if you fancy... A lovely trip down to the North Devon coast. Come and see us next year from the 6th to the 10th of June at Lee Abbey. And um, I understand they're in the show notes. You can find it on our Facebook page. Uh, but Or you can just Google Lee Abbey Devon and uh, they'll take, you'll find it. So that's good. Oh, yeah, it should be on the website, shouldn't it? I promised to do that last week. The other thing I was thinking is we could do a poll of listeners and ask, do you want Nick and I to talk about sex? No. On the podcast. Thanks. Don't really like to say that word. Because, no, this is the point, Nick. No. No, on the weekend, we actually had a psychosexual therapist with us. I don't think they'd come to analyse our relationship anyway, but they were on on the (laughs) weekend. And I thought to myself, actually, if there's one thing that Christians never talk about, it's sex. And that is because we all know that it's dirty and something we should be very ashamed of as Christians. But this... This person may have other views. I don't know. Wrong views about that. So I just wondered whether it would be worth doing it. I feel a bit embarrassed even talking about it even now. I don't even want to talk about the possibility of us talking about it. Mm. That's how That's how strongly I feel about it. Okay. Never mind actually talking about it. Okay. Well, I may revisit this theme. That's all. Because I think, you know, special guttles are an important part. <laughs> Of a mummy and daddy bear's life. <laughs> uh, that's probably the level you can expect. I can, can, can you feel the awkwardness? <laughs> oh, oh! I just want to move on now, very quickly. Okay. Well, then. well anyway, on. how are, how are you? Moving on quickly. Yeah, it's, you know, I, 
I like to think I don't watch much reality TV, but the facts are we, we've hooked into Bake Off and Strictly this year. And did you see Rose's dance on Strictly? I did. Wasn't that amazing? Yes. It was beautiful and uh, powerful. For those yeah, who don't know fantastic. what we're talking about, there's a profoundly deaf girl on Strictly this year and she did, so she is dancing without being able to hear the music, which is incredible in itself. But we were sort of allowed into her world during this dance at the weekend where they cut the music out and the couple continued dancing. It, was, it, it sounds so simple, but it was gloriously powerful. And um, just, uh, just, just one of those really amazing bits of TV, really. Um, so I thought it was brilliant. And I like that very much. And I've reflected on that quite a bit this week. Um, this Saturday, uh, we've got our Enneagram Day, um, which I'm looking forward to and seeing Ali, friends. Uh, what else? Oh, I saw the Bond film. I saw the new Bond film. Uh, yes, I saw the new Bond film. Yeah, you know, whatever. What are you talking about? Well, you know... What do you mean? What kind of response is that? Well, it's a kind of... Uh, uh, I wasn't blown away with it. Uh, equally, I didn't think it was terrible. I wasn't... I just thought... I just came away feeling a bit... Me- oh, yeah, I see why they've done what they've done. And I see this and everything. I think here's the problem with Bond. Okay, so as a kid, loved Sean Connery, and then moving into my sort of young years, you know, then then it became Roger Moore. And back in those days, you may remember some of the older ones there. One got away with misogyny and sexism and being a womanizer, and that was all seen as somehow endearing. And so what they've done with Bond now, they realise he's a dinosaur. So they've made the newer films grittier. And they put really strong female characters in there. I think that's their nod to acknowledgement of feminism and stuff like that, which, you know, we've discussed this before, which I'm not really sure about at all. And um, what you're not sure about feminism? No, I'm not sure about how what a male director thinks feminism is sometimes. That's what I that's what I'm not sure about. Uh, And so I think that very often they make the case for, well, if men can hit hard and kill people and and be very violent, then women can too. And that's feminism. Thank you very much. Equality. Um, let's make, you know, kick-ass women uh, lead characters and everything. I, I just I feel it's a lot, it should be a lot more nuanced than that. Anyway, let's not discuss that. Let's discuss Bond. Uh, I see why they did. I liked I liked seeing some old baddies and I liked the themes. I liked, liked the music as well. I hasten to add. But um, I, I don't know. You always, I always think oh, you've got to see a Bond film in a cinema, you know, because it's visually spectacular. And I just don't know that it did have that feel this time for me personally. I mean, when you think of that, what was the the one with the opening scene in Mexico where the camera followed him? Yeah, just, yeah. just one. I mean, that was mind blowing, and I'm really glad Spectre, I went to cinema. The last one. Yes, it was Spectre. You're right. Um, this one, I just, mm, yeah, it's good. It's good, glad, glad, but not, you know, not blown away. Not blown away. Okay. That's it. um, That's my view. uh, Yes, yes, and you've expounded it at length, and I'd like to say two things. Yes, please do. Firstly, I thought it was magnificent. Mm. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I thought it was a fitting end to to his character arc. Thought it was, yeah, thought it was very moving and brilliant. Loved it. Okay. And secondly, you're a. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, you're just you're wrong on both both Which counts. is my nuanced <laughs> response to your critique. <laughs> Uh, listen. <laughs> no, I loved it. I I hadn't Did been you? in the cinema for so long though. Well, that's really what weird. you loved being back at the cinema. On. No, because I didn't love. It. I've realised that I don't actually love going to the cinema that much anyway. Do you know the last time I worked out the last time I went to the, the cinema before this one mm. was 2017 to watch the last of the Star Wars films. That's oh, a wow. long time ago. That is a long time ago. But that you you don't like it because it makes such a hole in your wallet. I mean, I paid three pound fifty and. Yeah, to be right. honest, I slightly resent that. Um, no. But, but yeah, that's why. I paid £12. Move to Worthing, everybody, because the cinema is cheap and it's lovely and you're by the sea. And as one dear listener did, uh, Elizabeth, hello, if you're listening, I went to see her. She moved to East Preston, which is just, just the next stop along from Worthing. And uh, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but she's 80 years old, which made me think, how old is our oldest listener? Now, I, I sort of assumed, and I hope this isn't ageist, that people wouldn't listen to us at that point. But I don't know. Maybe we help them sleep. I don't know. But anyway, it was lovely to meet you, Elizabeth. What a fantastic thing. Thanks for the coffee. And yeah, keep listening. I don't know how old our oldest listener is, but I imagine many people are ageing rapidly as they listen to this conversation. <laughs> I think they were, they were wishing for the onset of death. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, a little bit harsh. It's just, uh, contemplating their mortality. And Anyway, uh, other than going to see the Bond film and getting mm. overly excited, uh, how are you? Uh, yeah, all right, yeah. Really busy, actually. Mm. Or, or at least um, full of things to do. You know, like, mm. it feels like that whole thing has filled up again. Um, yeah. It's not helped by my 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 dearest uh, wife, who we Saturday morning woke yeah. up and we said, "Oh, got a free weekend." She oh, said, beautiful. "Yeah, yeah, we we've got a free weekend." She said, "I said, what are you going to do?" She said, "I'm going to go around the house and make a list of all the jobs that need doing." No, <laughs> <laughs> that so is so you... idea of what to do on a free weekend. Yeah. So did you have a lovely weekend off? Yeah. Ended up wallpapering. I mean, for heaven's sake. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's restful. So anyway, yeah. yeah. Oh, I bought a load of bulbs for the garden. Oh, right. Did yeah, you? About, yeah, 300 of them. Tulips, daffodils. Yeah. Crokai. Crokai-kai. Um, yeah. <laughs> nice. So I'm just looking forward to a, a, an awful lot of disappointment in the spring <laughs> when nothing arises. <laughs> Got used to gardening now. It's just full-on hopes. The foxes dig ours up. What, the bulbs, really? Dig, yeah, they dig up the bulbs and eat them. They do. And they're obviously, like, quite strongly vegetarian foxes. <laughs> have they come across from Brighton or somewhere? They have, so? yeah. Hipster foxes. And then they knock on the door for their, like, coffee. And they say... <laughs> but they'll only have a pour-over. They don't... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Single origin. <laughs> yes, uh, anyway, look, we should we should say a little thing about the podcast because we're both getting yes. a bit busier because COVID is, um, mm. you know, well, lockdown is is, is gone. Although mm. who knows? Yeah, be, exactly. When it might be, be making a, an unwelcome return, who knows? Um, there were times just between you know the seventeen listeners and ourselves just to talk. Yes, there are times when it's getting a little bit busy for us. So there may be times in the future. When we suddenly and for no very good reason go for to a two week schedule 
just mm. once or twice. We're just mm. saying that up in advance because uh, we were both saying coming into this, you know, it's quite busy. And mm. and to be honest, we don't have many deep thoughts to start with. So, you know, doing them weekly has been a stretch. Yeah, um, yeah so there's just sort of alerting. Don't, you know, don't worry if... A, thing doesn't appear or just check the yeah. facebook page or whatever but yeah. there may be times we, I, I don't think we're planning on it you know deliberately but but there may be yeah. points when we have to go fortnightly for our own sanity at the moment yes indeed thank you well said um so we're going to focus down on two emails uh this time around and oh, the okay. first is uh, andrew again wouldn't normally do this wouldn't normally revisit someone who's responded to an email i've already read out but this time i think it's worth it for reasons you will see so you may remember last week um we heard from andrew uh, from oz and he says just listening to attending resentfully at the moment thanks for the shout out and then he talks about how he's reading faith after doubt by brian mclaren and says, I must say, as much as I'm appreciating and learning from what McLaren has to say, there's a very strident part of me that's saying, yes, that's all well and good. But how do I get unstuck from perplexity and move into harmony? Eight years in the wilderness and I'm not sure I'm any closer, further off, if anything. Uh, so he moves on. I get the feeling that uh, it is going to come down to something along the lines of giving up on the idea of resolution and making peace with the idea of never really knowing stuff. I can't tell you how much that rubs against the grain with me. And then he says, I'd like to think I have a more nuanced view of scripture than God's dictation exercise. I don't pretend to be a Bible scholar, but I get the significance of context, style of writing, target audience and culture, amongst other factors. As a non-scholar, it can be awfully hard to pick up on many of these things. So a face value reading of, say, 1 Timothy 1 tells us it's a letter of instruction from Paul to Timothy, addressing, amongst other things, the role of law in identifying lawlessness and immorality, listing some quite specific things, including homosexuality, murder, slavery and so on. In chapter 2, he goes on to address all men everywhere and the women which seems quite unambiguously to be identification of a generalizable principle he believes to be important. I could go on. My point is, without more arcane knowledge, a careful reading of the text as given seems to be presenting general principles by which believers should order their lives. So if I can't rely on an understanding of what seems to be really quite a basic literary form presented in clear didactic language, what can I rely on? How is one to know... What are the good bits? I hope you see the broader point I'm trying to make here, which is not at all about a specific doctrinal point. I get that the Bible is a story of human divine interaction across a span of time and is far from the perfect thing some would hold it to be. But it also happens to be the central repository of knowledge and teaching around which our faith is structured. So we don't get the luxury of ignoring it or saying it's too hard or unfathomable, despite these things seeming to be the actual truth regarding our ability to engage with it. I'm not sure I can ever comfortably embrace a theology of meh, I don't know. I should probably get around to actually reading the Badly Behaved Bible one of these days, but my reading list just seems to be getting longer and longer. And he says, with upside down love and warm regards, Andrew. So you can feel the angst in that mm. response, can't you? You can feel the pain. Um, you know, you read a bit of scripture and you think, oh no, this one really is a, is making some very general historical good points uh, you don't have to have a clear understanding of cultural context so it seems uh, it's fairly black and white this is immoral this isn't this is right this is wrong and uh, um, and yet some would say no we, we really can argue about that I see his point 
Well, yeah, I think that the thing is, um, I think he, he said in there about the central repository of knowledge or something. And like teaching that. around which our faith is structured. Yeah, you see, the Bible isn't the only central repository of knowledge uh, and teaching heretic. around which our faith is structured. No, that's just that's just one of the things that we get wrong about it. Because church teaching is also part of that. Interpretation of the Bible, or whatever you want to call it, mm. is a core part. And and that's there's nobody... You know, like the whole Reformation thing about sola scriptura, mm. only mm-hmm. scripture. That, even the Reformers didn't believe that. That wasn't really what they were saying, actually. They were saying that you have to measure it against scripture, but they weren't saying that that's the only thing you listen to. Because every, mm. you know, a huge amount of our doctrine is interpretations of scripture or ideas based on scripture. Yeah. So I think if you view it, the Bible as this sort of instruction manual that's going to be, mm. you know, give you the right way to live. I think generally it does that. Mm. But specifics, it can never do that because it's addressing to a totally different time. Mm. That's a really good point. And therefore the interpretation of it becomes part of the core of our knowledge and teaching. Mm. Yep. And people are interpreting it differently now. Yeah. As indeed am I. Because the other part that guides our life is our own culture and mm. our own understanding of humanity, mm. uh, science, all this other kind of stuff. Mm. And you can't divorce that. You can't suddenly go, well, let's put all that aside because we know that that's yeah. a truth. You know, we know that that's yeah. real. So we have to therefore go back to the Bible constantly and say, what is this? What is yeah. this uh, object? What is it? What role does it play in the light of all the other stuff? Yeah, exactly. If we believe there's something special about this book, how does mm. it work? Yeah, um, no, exactly. Um, I think that's really helpful. And it and it's worth stating the really obvious sometimes as well, isn't it? Which is the Bible is not God. It is not to be worshipped. It it points to the one who is to be worshipped. And that's a big difference, I mm. think. Mm. And I think we tie ourselves up in knots. But I wonder whether we could give some sort of really practical advice to anyone who is in that ag stage of you know mid-faith crisis don't want to read the bible ever again in my life hate the thing yeah you know stop speaking to me what advice might we give them oh, do you want to kick off with <laughs> yeah well well on, here's here's a few things i did <laughs> one is take a break you're not a bad person if you don't read the bible sometimes and i think it's okay to take a break especially if you spent years and years and years and years studying it I think sometimes, sometimes I think it's all right. I think the same if you're with prayer. If, 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 if you've got to that point where you just don't get prayer and you hate prayer and it makes you angry, don't pray. Okay, try it. Try it. See how it works out. Um, the other thing I'd say is if ever you stop something, make sure you replace it with something. I think we were trying to say this last week, uh, weren't we? So I'd say focus on becoming like Jesus. Focus on becoming Christ-like. Yeah, if the Bible can help you in that, then you should re-engage with it. But if you are finding that at this moment, in this season, it is not helping you, then stop it. That's what I'd say. And find okay. out what will help you. And the point is, don't stop trying to become Christ-like. That, that's, the, mm. that's the key thing. Love your neighbour as yourself and love God with all your heart and mind, soul and strength. So so if that's it, I think we can take that bit on board for a, for a little season and say, look, I might stop reading the Bible, but this is what I really commit to, which is loving my neighbour as myself and loving God, whatever that might look like or seem to you. 
as best um, as best you can. And then and then for me, re, re, going back to the Bible was literally one one verse at a time. I mean, I just I just landed on the verses that I thought I need to embrace this. I mean, we talked about this before. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with uh, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. That's from Colossians 3.12. I just sat with it for months, mm. examined it, thought, yeah, I think I'll be a better person if I actually managed to do those things. And of course, I have varying degrees of success uh, with that. So there's my top tips. <laughs> I I would say, well, I think there's some more f- some hmm. fundamental things of what Andrew says here. Yeah, I think that I think the first thing you have to do is is ask yourself: Is your actual view of what the Bible is wrong? So when he talks, for example, about it being the the central repository of knowledge and teaching, yeah. Well, okay, that's that's true in a way, but it's also a, a it's also a collection of stories. Mm. You know, it's also poetry. Mm. How is poetry a repository of knowledge and teaching? How does that yeah. how does that work? Yeah, it's it's different things. Um, and in fact, one of one of the core ideas of the badly behaved Bible was that to view the Bible as holy ground, as a place of encounter, rather than a kind of volume of instruction or a yeah. set of precepts. Or you know, it's the way that you hear from God through the pages of this this mm. book yeah. so you can still do that even though you don't understand some bits of it even though you don't like some bits of it you know you mm. can still that can still happen for you i think so i think that exactly what you were saying were about making saying staying with one verse or whatever you know that that's that's a really good way of doing it mm. uh praying the bible is a really way good way of doing it. if you take one one um line so i mean the classic one is the jesus prayer you know, you take something out and you just make that your prayer and you just yeah. immerse yourself in scripture that way that that, that helps yeah. so that you're you're removing yourself from the idea of I, I have to sort of I have to understand this or I have to conquer it or I have to master it or I have to kind of hmm. w- work this out. Because, frankly, the other thing I, I really have to say is that if you can't live with a bit of I don't know, you're going to have problems all the time, really. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so you've got to you've got to ha- you've got to at least cope with a bit. Yeah. You you may not have to kind of entirely give up to to the idea, you know, that you can't understand things, but you've got to make some accommodation with mystery and not knowing stuff, because frankly, there is stuff in the Bible that no one understands, not even the experts. Can mm. I ask you a question though? I I I ask you as someone who has a great reverence for the Bible. Do you think we're ever really meant to read it on our own? Well. That's a great question, because historically, yeah. um, people didn't really. They studied it no. together, or yeah. they they'd certainly. Th- well, I don't know. The psalmist talks about sort of meditating on the precepts and things like that. So there's a sense in which you think about it on your own. But of course, the idea of having a text in front of us yeah. to open up and to read yeah. is a relatively recent yeah, invention. It's, exactly. it's post Reformation, really. Yeah, and it, it was really the Ref- the Reformation that gave the idea of having like Bible studies in the house. Yeah, Bef- before that it was a very subversive thing to do. So I don't think we're meant to read it one way or the other. I don't think one way is wrong or or uh, one way is right. But I do think it's helpful to read it communally. Yeah, at times because uh, certainly as I understood the rabbinic tradition was you, you know you 
you read it together and then you put the scroll down and then you argue about it. You debate <laughs> it together. So another way, it seems to be another valid way to go to it is to go go to it with others to interrogate it and to debate it and to, yeah, argue with it. But fair? you could do all kinds of things with it. You could mash it up. So that bit in where Jesus talks in Luke, you know, he goes and gives the sort of what's often called a sermon. It's not really a sermon mm. in his in the hometown. But if you actually read the piece, he 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 mashes up mm. a bit different bits of Isaiah and sort of puts uh, them together. A terrible you, scholar, Jesus, wasn't he? But you were allowed to do that. You couldn't do it with the law, with the Torah. You had to read that as it was. But you could. You were allowed to sort of do it. Okay. You were allowed to play with it a bit more. So. Um, yeah, I think there's that. There's a whole different ways of of uh, reading it and encountering it. That, okay. and it, and equally with the rabbinic tradition, we talked a little bit about mystery just now. So mm. a lot of the rabbinic tradition was based on the idea that, um, you know, of, of trying to really interpret what was there. What does this mean? But if you actually look at the teachings, quite often they'll say one rabbi says this, the other rabbi says that. Mm. And they don't actually resolve it at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, you have to, you know, if they couldn't really understand bits of it, we're not going to. But that doesn't mean, I want to reiterate, that doesn't mean it won't speak to you. No. So that mysterious bit might speak to you in the ways that you were never expecting it. Yeah. You know, anyway. Fair point. Well, there we are. Andrew, I have no idea if any of that is any help whatsoever, but there's just a few more thoughts on that. Um, so, but connected to that in a way was this email we got from Tyler. It says this, greetings, Joe and Nick. I've been catching up on the podcast. I'm somewhere around episode 170 at present, uh, which I've been enjoying for a year or two now. It says, I can't remember which episode, but I seem to remember someone posing the question of how to interact well with children when one is in the thick of perplexity. You're right. We did mention that. Uh, Tyler. He says, I think that a real key for me in the interplay between my mid-faith crisis and the raising of my young children is the realisation that there is a second naivety beyond it all. If any part of me is there already, the part, for instance, that embraces myth as another and even a deeper kind of truth, that part delights in the simplicity of children. They are really ideal students. If any part of me remains in perplexity, that part delights in my children as teachers. I think that from a perplexity point of view, the simplicity and vulnerability of children could be seen as a problem. We might want to protect them from being hurt or deceived by bringing them right out into perplexity with us. But here I am reminded of something I read in The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Volherben. Uh, the fastest growing trees are the ones that receive direct sunlight, but these are also the first to fall over in a storm. The tree that grows for a long time under the shade and shelter of its parent grows far more slowly. As a result, the wood is stronger because of its increased density. When the parent tree eventually falls, that tree will be better able to endure storms and to provide exactly the shade and enrichment the forest needs. These are the trees that last a thousand years. The parallel here is that prolonging the first naivety, far from endangering children, gives them the best foundation, the strongest roots, the densest trunk for what comes afterward. Furthermore, I suspect that being very well practised in the rhythms of simplicity makes much easier the leap from perplexity to harmony. Didn't Jesus say we must become as little children? I don't think he meant going backward. I think he meant going forward. When we protect the innocence of our children, we are not trying to keep them in the dark or under our control. We are preserving as long as possible their better instincts and preparing them for what comes next. Perhaps even more importantly, there is not mere preparation, but direct participation on their part in the divine mysteries themselves. 
At this point in the podcast, I'm hearing a fair, fair bit about the importance of Genesis. On this topic, I'm reminded of Yahweh's dismay when he says, who told you that you were naked? I used to be uncomfortable with this passage because it seemed to me God was trying to withhold from the man and the woman something that was true. After all, they really were naked. The idea that God wanted them to be naked and not to know about it smacked eerily of exploitation. Why would God want them to remain vulnerable? But as a parent myself, I now understand deeply the precious innocence of children, so ready to heed the true source of their lives. I see why this is something Yahweh wanted to protect. My children instinctively sing and play and draw and wonder in perfect security. Anything that might cause them to doubt whether they, are, they or their efforts are good enough is an enemy to their innocence and indeed their freedom. And then he says, thanks for continuing the podcast. My wife and I really appreciate it. And the community. So do you get what he's saying there? He's I think I think what he's trying to say is that actually this childlikeness, this 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 innocence that children have in the earliest forms of simplicity. And should we, you know, should we air our doubts and should we do he's saying that we're right to preserve that because the time will come when that gets exploded, but actually they'll be stronger for for being there. Is that right? Mm. Is that mm. how you understand it? Yes, I think so. Yes, I mean, it, and also what's interesting, following on from the previous discussion, is it's that helpful way of rereading Genesis. Mm. You know, seeing what that story says to him. Yeah. Now, in a different, yes, uh, different way. Yeah, and I think I think it's that that is a complicated thing, isn't it? To to how far do you prepare children for um, the questions and the out so i don't think you do i think that's exactly mm. what he's saying i think you you trust in the the phases as it were trust in the stages They'll come along yeah yeah and 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 you sort of go back round to that george mcdonald who i haven't mentioned for a long time on this podcast no, you haven't he viewed uh childlikeness as being up there with christlikeness that was one of his big things yeah. that to go back to that state of childlike wonder and acceptance and you know almost not questioning. This was a very intelligent man, but you know, but was the heart of the relationship with Christ really? Yeah. No, I think that's. I think that's really. I had a conversation with someone just this morning. We were talking about guidance a bit, and they were saying how much they need a sign for a big decision that's coming up. And I, and I made the shocking statement that well, I don't really believe that's how God works, and yet it is how the divine works. By that, I mean, I don't think we get a flashing neon thing. And, you know, I'm not sure. I know there's the fleece story in the Bible uh, before people get angry, but I don't think that's how it works for us. But what I do believe is that if we get in touch with our deepest intuitions, that is the divine speaking. So I can't say God doesn't guide because in a way God always guides. But it's it's through those deeper intuitions that i think it happens and and the way that we wonderfully interpret the events that are going on around us so so i can certainly look back on my life and say do you know i really felt the divine guide us in this move because this happened and this happened and this happened but but i don't think you know there was an intervention and this thing happened because god placed it there or did it i think i was just able to interpret the signs to get in touch with that divine part of me and and think yeah this is the right this is the right thing for me to do do you know what i mean that's how i understand guidance not that external but far more an internal 
my own interpretation of events and also my own sense of of what's true to me. I'm, I don't feel like I'm an expert on this. I don't feel like I've, mm. I can grasp a lot of this. I, those two terms, you know, first and second naivety as well. Mm. I wonder if you could say a bit more about that to help us help us see how the childlikeness works in the second naivety kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. So the the idea, the first naivety um, is when you say, you know, you could liken it to becoming a Christian. I've got to fix this. Don't worry. God's with me. Or Jesus is my best buddy. Nothing can touch me. Nothing can hurt me. I've got Jesus with me. And then life hits you a bit. And so you start questioning it. And, you know, like, you know, when when someone's, you know, feeling a bit ill, you go, don't worry, I'll ask Jesus to heal you. You know, that's a classic first naivety. Right. Um, But then you pray for people and they don't get better or they die or, you know, all kinds of things. So what you what you then embark on is this journey of questioning. What does healing mean? Does, you know, does God heal? How does he heal? You know, if God heals this person, why hasn't God healed that person? Da, 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 da. And then you reach a point where your kind of disillusionment with the whole healing thing will lead you one of two ways. Either you say, do you know, this is just rubbish and you walk away. Or you or or you know, in this kind of deep sense of knowing that this isn't rubbish, that God is. But that you can't get your head around this, but you still want the best for someone. So, for example, as you know, if you tell me you're not not well or you're ill or you're sick, I everything within me cries out for healing for you that's a perfectly natural human response and i don't i hold the tension and mystery that that is a good thing to do even though perhaps i don't think that's how god works externally you know it's not you know i don't believe in miracles and yet i think everything's a miracle Mm, so that's mm. a paradox and i've embraced it that's second naivety that's second naivety. It's a it's a it's a faith that's been through the fire. It's a faith that's wrestled with questions, and yet it comes back to the simple thing: but God is God, and I am me, and and so I'm placing this before. Somehow I know God is real. I know God is here. I know God can hear me. Um, so this is what I'm crying out for. And you mm. you sort of let go of outcomes at this stage, and that's second naivety. And I think you know, for me, I feel like I have a very simple faith now. I think I believe god is and i believe god is love as well and mm. um, everything else is up for argument as far as i'm concerned <laughs> but, but this i know uh and um and so you know i'm trying to build my faith upon that it's, it sort of reminds me about the i don't know if it's an apocryphal story about Karl barth you know wrote church dogmatics hmm. I don't, you were probably supposed to read something i, I probably was sadly I read the comic book version of it um and and I he went too. to america he's supposed to go to america and he went to america and uh, he he a reporter asks him you yeah. know can you sum it up and it's mm. like 11 volumes and each volume's got two parts to it you yes. know can you sum it up? and he said uh yeah i can actually he said uh, jesus loves me this i know because the bible tells me so yeah yeah exactly yeah. now i don't know if that's an apocryphal that's story but i think it's, it's good yeah yeah, that's second naivety. It really is. Yeah, and and if we apply it, to maybe go back a little bit to the the scripture thing. It feels like there's a way of coming around to scripture again that that leaves us almost, but not quite, in the same place. So the first naivety way of reading Genesis might be going, "Well, I believe it. I believe yeah. it's yeah. it's there. I I believe in Genesis. I believe the Genesis story." Hmm. 
And the second version of it might be, I still believe the Genesis mm. count, but it's a story. Mm. You know, th- th- there's a different yeah, way of exactly. looking at it. That you, I still it's believe still the true. Bible is the word of God, mm. but there's bits of it that I don't think necessarily happened. Mm. It's, it's it, you know, it's, it's kind of still having faith in it as a transforming text, mm. but in a different way, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. So if you're now terribly confused and you don't know what to do with the Bible, <laughs> I can I give you a tip? Go read Colossians 3.12. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience and just dwell on that. If you can't handle anything else, it'll do you good. <laughs> yeah. And bless off, in other words. <laughs> bless off. Well, listen, I hope we've said something somewhere along the line that encourages you. Yes, thank you very much for listening. We will be back with you next week, I imagine. We will. Yeah. And uh, we look forward to your company. Thank you for everyone who listens. Thank you to all those who support the podcast. That's very kind of you. Yeah. If you wish to respond to anything you've heard here, uh, use your email machine and email to joe at midfaithcrisis.org. And we would love to hear from you. We would. Go watch so, a Bond film, but set your expectations. Oh, for heaven's sake, don't listen to him. He knows nothing.